And I'll never forget being on the stage at Archbishop Reardon High School, uh, playing a character in a, in, a, in a theater show called How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. I was playing a character called Gatch. And I looked out in this crowd of 1,200 people, and there was not one seat open. And I began to become extremely paranoid. I began to believe that every single one of the 1,200-person audience was at any moment going to rush the stage and end my life. It was terrifying. My name is Kevin Hines, and I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, type 1 with psychotic features at the age of 17 and a half. And at 19, my brain broke. I, I, I was so depressed, so suicidal, that I wrote that note to my family and my friends and my girlfriend at the time, basically telling them I love them, saying sorry and asking for their forgiveness. I put that in my shoulder bag and eventually that day made my way to the Golden Gate Bridge. Kevin jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge and something almost unbelievable happened. He survived. A woman driving by saw him jump and called her friend in the Coast Guard. As he struggled in the water with a broken spine and several lacerated organs, a sea lion, and I'm not making this up, swam beneath him and pushed him upward until the Coast Guard got there. And when he arrived at the hospital, a surgeon who was supposed to have left for the day stayed and did over 10 hours of surgery so Kevin could walk again. It was a whole series of miracles. But I want to focus on something else Kevin told me about that day. Before I was thinking that this was the only answer, that I had to die. I never wanted to take my life. I believed I had to. But after my hands left the rail, all I wanted to do was reach back with an instant regret for my actions and the 100% recognition that I just made the greatest mistake in my life and it was too late. Almost every one of the handful of survivors who've jumped from the Golden Gate Bridge says the same thing. At some point between jumping and hitting the water, they realize they've made a huge mistake, and they regret it. But what really stood out to me was how Kevin said that he didn't actually want to die. And if you don't want to die, jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Watching somebody transition from a suicidal state or after suicide attempts into a level of stability and functionality that maybe they didn't realize they had is maybe some of the most rewarding work that I could possibly do. Shannon McCann is a therapist in Utah. Shannon practices a type of therapy called DBT, or Dialectical Behavior Therapy, that's been proven in research to help suicidal people. One of my very first clients um, had been in and out of the hospital several times, um, had several suicide attempts, had a really couple brutal years of her life. I started seeing me as at the end of her rope. We developed a lot of values-based goals for her to get her aligning with a life that felt worth living for her. And through a lot of hard work, lots of ups and downs and trials and trying things out and some trial and error, my goodness gracious. And she's doing really wonderfully today. That was about four years ago. And she works in a successful career and has a successful relationship. And I wouldn't say that her work is over, but she's developed such a strong foundation of skills. Welcome to this episode of the Keep Hope Alive podcast. I'm going to preface this by saying that this is not an advertisement for dialectical behavior therapy. Different therapies work for different people, but there's a lesson to be learned in the story of how DBT came about, something that can benefit everyone, 
whether you're dealing with suicide yourself or have a friend or loved one trying to figure it out. The story starts in the 1980s with a therapist named Marsha Linehan. And a person who wants to be dead, one can think of him as already in hell. This is Dr. Linehan speaking to Family Action Network. And what they're trying to do is to get out of hell. And my job is to climb down with them and get them out. She kept meeting with chronically suicidal people. They'd sit down and she would try to use the type of therapy she was taught, cognitive behavior therapy, to give them the tools they needed to change their behavior and solve their own problems. But it never seemed to go over well. No one believed in behavior therapy more than me. I, was, I just figured I would show that it worked. I, ha, I was not a very good scientist at the time because no scientists do stuff like that. You're supposed to find out if it works. But I was not worried about finding out. I figured I already knew the answer. That absolutely, it would work. And uh, most of my talks uh, start out with success through failure. And the reason they start that way is nothing could have been worse than behavior therapy. Simply insisting that people change is actually experienced as intensely invalidating by a chronically suicidal patient. This is Dr. Ray LaMontagne, a clinical psychologist in Canada who treats a lot of suicidal patients. They think, understandably, if they could, they would. Why is this joker telling me that I have to do better? Don't you think I know that? Don't you think I want to stop feeling hopelessly suicidal? Don't you think I want to stop harming myself? Of course I do. If I knew how I would. So why are you pushing me to change, right? When regular cognitive behavior therapy didn't work, she swung completely in the opposite direction. And instead of trying to solve their problems, she tried just listening and accepting. Talk therapy. But that didn't go over well either, because most of her clients had been to see therapists like that before. They didn't just need someone to listen to them. They were on the verge of suicide. They needed someone to actually help them make progress. They'd go home at the end of the session with unsolved problems and feel like they wasted their time. And for the record, it wasn't as if suicide was completely unfamiliar to this therapist. She'd even been suicidal herself. And even with that background, she wasn't sure how to proceed. I ended up developing a treatment primarily because behavior therapy failed. And uh, a pure acceptance therapy failed even worse because people said, aren't you going to help me? And I said, oh, yes, of course I'm going to help you. Dr. Linehan realized that for many of her clients, suicide looked like an escape from their problems. And that was the prevailing theory of suicide at the time. People experienced crippling emotional or even physical pain and they turned to death by their own hands as a way out. The director of the Utah chapter of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, Taryn Hyatt, puts it this way. I use the analogy all the time of 9-11. When we think back to 9-11 and we saw the, the twin towers be hit and they started to burn, we saw people from the top to jump. You know, they didn't jump because they wanted to die any more than most of us who attempt want to be dead. They were in a crisis situation that they were desperate to get away from and escape pain, and, and their thinking wasn't rational, and they bad. Taryn's not talking hypothetically either. She was sexually abused as a child and dealt with suicidal thoughts and suicide attempts in her teens. So she understands psychological pain and the desire to escape. What suicide was for me and what it is for a lot of people is a response to stress. I just didn't know how to deal with what was happening, so I didn't want to be here. 
all of us can relate to wanting to escape from pain. Maybe not all of us can relate to attempting on our lives, but all of us know what it feels like to just want an unrelentingly painful emotion to go away. And even just reflecting that back to the sufferer sort of demystifies the behavior. The biggest problem with calling suicide an escape is that in reality, it is anything but. Another Golden Gate Bridge survivor named Ken Baldwin told The New Yorker magazine that when he jumped, and I quote, I instantly realized that everything in my life that I thought was unfixable was totally fixable, except for having just jumped. Suicides don't solve problems. Of the people I've spoken with who've lost loved ones to suicide, not a single one said their lives got better. My uncle committed suicide last summer, actually, last July, and um, it kind of actually sparked in me a huge emotional breakdown. And I think having someone close to me who chose to end his own life really made me question a lot of things. I ended up going to therapy for a year after that. So my aunt actually committed suicide a couple years ago, and it kind of, kind of caused a huge tear in our family a bit, actually. So, like, there's a couple members of our family that we just don't ever see anymore. Dr. Linehan's simple response to a suicidal patient was to explain that she can't help them if they're dead. Therapy doesn't work on dead people. The average client actually thinks, it's really amazing, but they actually think they're going to feel better if they're dead. And I point out to them there's zero data on that. <laughs> But they almost always believe it. It takes a while for me to convince them that they could be wrong. What if, instead, she could help them create a life where they don't want to be dead? Dr. Linehan realized there was one thing necessary to help someone before you could start handing them the tools for changing their lives. You needed to validate their feelings. The missing ingredient there is validation. This person is already so good at self-invalidating, at beating themselves up, at stigmatizing themselves for having strong emotions, that the antidote to that is to have another human being saying, hey, I get that. You don't need to be certified to practice validation and compassion. Validation means saying, I understand why you'd feel that way. It makes sense. It doesn't mean condoning negative behavior. You don't collude with the idea that suicide is a so-called good solution, but you do try to validate, understand, and empathize with the emotions that have put someone in that predicament because lo and behold, when you do that, the person starts to feel understood. They start to stigmatize themselves less. They start to experience some relief. And once you've stepped out of the weeds onto the path of relief, suicidal risk starts to mitigate, right? As she began putting together the pieces of her own new kind of therapy, Dr. Linehan realized that she herself needed to better understand one of the core concepts something she calls radical acceptance. What happened was I had to bring together behavior therapy, which is change strategies, and I had to bring together acceptance strategies. I discovered when I wanted to do acceptance strategies that I myself was not doing a great job at acceptance. She took a retreat, first to a Zen Buddhist monastery and then to a Catholic monastery in Germany. Ultimately, she developed something called dialectical behavior therapy, which balances the two concepts of acceptance and change. 
Marsha Linehan had the great sense to merge aspects of her contemplative Zen practice um, which has, a, of course, a heavy emphasis on mindfulness, meditation, and even an actual Buddhist principles and theology. She, she decided that that might provide a very good meld with the traditional behavior change technologies from cognitive and cognitive behavioral therapies. You have sort of one pole that says people need to accept where they're at, and another pole that says that they need to push themselves to to change. They need to work harder and they need to do better. And DBT is about finding a synthesis in between those poles as much as you possibly can. Where's a, where's a middle path where perhaps acceptance can pave the way to change or pushing for change can pave the way to acceptance. It's kind of interconnected. Dr. Linehan is now retired and no longer giving interviews, but her therapy is used around the world to treat suicidal patients. It's been proven in research to help especially for those with borderline personality disorder who have a much higher rate of suicide than the general population. For people who don't believe they'll ever have a life worth living, DBT aims to help them see that it really is possible. With the right balance of compassion and validation and change-oriented strategies, you don't have to live this way. <laughs> there's, there's like a light at the end of the tunnel. And for the record, Dr. Linehan and DBT therapists aren't the only people sharing that message. Kevin Hines, for example, now travels the country speaking to church and school groups and sharing a similar message. I let them know that today is not tomorrow. And just because you're going through hell today, it doesn't mean you don't get to have that beautiful tomorrow, but you have to be here to get there in the first place. And I let them know all the things I would have missed had I died with my hands. And that really seems to click. When you let them know that their life holds more purpose than to die with their hands in a way that is real, honest, and true, and gives you a prime example of someone who's already gone through it and survived and found recovery, they see those possibilities. They open their eyes and they see the forest and the trees. How about suicidality? Is that something that still comes up? Yeah, I have regular thoughts of suicide. I just know how to handle them. If someone can recognize that you can recover from these kinds of pains, they can realize their true value and they can stay here in spite of the pain. You know, for some people who have lived with chronic thoughts of suicide, like myself, being here tomorrow and every day after that is just the, is just a one day at a time process. I just have to get to tomorrow, one more 24-hour period. Um, and it's, it's not by any means an easy life to live, but it's not impossible. And, and I'm living proof of that recovery. This has been an episode of the Keep Hope Alive podcast. If you're in a suicidal crisis, please call 1-800-273-8255 right now. Also, let me just mention a few other resources. Kevin Hines' website is kevinhinesstory.com. In Utah, we have a suicide prevention campaign site at liveonutah.org. I'd also recommend visiting nowmattersnow.org. Shannon McCann is at wellspaceutah.com. And Dr. Lamontagne's website is at drlamontagne.com. Music from this episode is from The Resource, Edamame, and MKSTN. The audio of Dr. Linehan's speech came from Family Action Network, and you can find the entire video on their YouTube channel. 